0: Hi, I'm Sophie Milliken, and welcome to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator podcast. Today, I'm joined by Linda Plant, who you may know rather unjustly in my opinion, as the Queen of Mean interviewer from The Apprentice. Linda has a fascinating business tale and has been involved in a variety of businesses. Most recently, she has launched the Linda Plant Business Academy. So today I am joined by Linda Plant, who has got loads and loads of wonderful experience and knowledge to share with everybody, I'm sure. So from selling fashion on a market stall in Leeds to launching an international knitwear brand, which was sold for millions, Linda has a huge amount of brilliant knowledge and experience. If you're a fan of BBC One's The Apprentice show, then you may recognise Linda from her role as the Queen of Mean, which I always think is a bit of an unfair title, because whenever I've seen you on anything else, you're far from mean. Linda has successful property development and interior design businesses, along with her new venture, the Linda Plant Business Academy, which I'm sure we will hear lots about, and I will certainly include a link to it as well. So welcome. Thank you for joining me, Linda. It's great to see you thank you for asking me no problem so um, tell us did you always know what you wanted to be when you grew up
1: no i didn't always know what i wanted to be but i knew from a very early age when my mother took her market stall in jewsbury and on a saturday I would go and help her. And I knew from 10 years old, I wanted to sell and trade. So I guess I knew I wanted to be a trader. I had no idea where life was gonna take me, but I knew that I couldn't wait to get out of school so I could carry on working, selling and trading. And by the time I was almost 16, my mother, we had got three market stores in indoor markets. And I simply said to my mother and father, can I leave school? I couldn't wait. I had drive, I had ambition at that age, and that's what I did. So I I just wanted to be, be into business. And business for me, lots of people ask me questions, I can tell you business for me is like a hobby. I thrive on it and I love
0: it. I can totally relate to that. And uh, I had all sorts of, sort of entrepreneurial ideas myself when when I was younger. Um, I've written something in the book about when um, we used to buy up penny chews. And we used to stretch them and sell them for two p, which is a bit <laughs> embarrassing. But uh, it's just a thrill of the thrill. the trade. It's the trader in you. It is. It is. But it's that. It's that thrill of thrill of the sale, and there's so much excitement with that. So now that you you know you've you've had several businesses, you've you've had loads of success uh, with all of that. When when you kind of got to the point of setting up your own knitwear brand and you know being hugely successful because that seemed to sort of be be quite quick for you did you set goals that sort of where you were saying right this is what i want to achieve is that what you did or did it just well
1: yeah well what what happened was um so i fell in in the we had the retail business we expanded the market stores to 13 market stores across south yorkshire and then i opened a wholesale business so um because because i never say no when i can say yes and i took a distribution center in leeds uh in the center of the fashion area to distribute because i needed to distribute for the 14 stalls and then one day someone walked in and said do you sell this to wholesalers and i thought well why what yes so i said yes we do not doing it then but thinking this is what i should do because i'm already buying a substantial amount i turned the distribution center into a wholesale, called it Trendsetters, and started off with a wholesale business and a retail business, just buying more economies of scale, right? Which is quite important when you're you're looking at the business and the scalability. That took me to Hong Kong. A friend of mine said to me, Linda, I've got a friend in Hong Kong, and uh, he is looking for a client. He was supplying Freeman's mail order, it's a catalog, and in those days you needed quota. They've opened their own offices looking for a client. Now, I've always been mad on fashion, style, homes, and I could never really buy the knit where I wanted, so I went to Hong Kong knowing that I could buy two to three thousand of a style just to feed my shops and wholesale, not thinking, I'm going to go to Hong Kong and I'm going to build a brand. No. But what happened was at the end of a couple of weeks, I went around factories, I developed my own brand, and I wanted a USP because I talk a lot about that, Mm -hmm. unique selling point. Mm -hmm. So I believe I wanted to introduce, so pretty knitwear. There wasn't a lot of it around at mass market prices. Mm -hmm. So I introduced this pretty knitwear, and at the end of my trip, I looked at what I developed, and I thought, this needs to be a brand so it was at that point I thought right I need to give it a name I need it to be my brand and that's how I started so I didn't actually start out with the goal I'm gonna have a wholesale I'm gonna build a brand I didn't and in a way I can tell you I've always evolved in business that's not to say I don't have planning but I've always evolved because I get onto something and then I get onto what's the next thing. But I don't think, I think I'll do one, two, three, four. Although when I'm interviewing, I always tell apprentice candidates, realistic goals, you know, they come on and they, and they have got a business making 20,000 and next year with Lord Sugar's investment, it's going to make 1.2 million. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, so I would probably say to you, I have evolved my whole life and I believe in evolving, Mm. Uh, so.
0: It sounds like you've seen, you've been really good at seeing opportunities when they've kind of sort of drifted within your eyesight and you've gone for them and worked out how to make them happen. Well, that's that's a key factor
1: for everyone. And that's what I say, everyone gets opportunities. You've got to seize those opportunities. I don't believe in the word luck, you know, no, you, and, I don't call it risk, I call it opportunity. And in the early years, I had nothing to lose because I had nothing, right? But I always looked upon my opportunities. I, I considered the risk factor, but I seize opportunities. Everyone gets them, but can you seize them and what can you make of it? And you know, if you fall down and fail, don't worry. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to fail because failure sets you up for success next time
0: definitely agree you can learn more I think sometimes from from failing and I think it goes goes back to what you were just saying there about not being afraid and not feeling like you're going to lose something because if you if you haven 't got that fear then you're bolder in what you do and you've got to be bold to to make big progress
1: you have to be bold you have to take i suppose you might you may have to take risks we're coming into a time now you know i've had quite a few people write in and say. Should I guess, we're coming into a time now when job security is less secure than it's ever been People may find themselves redundant, but the may, the next job may not offer any more security than the so this is a great time, you know, I've had people ask me This is a great time to actually have a go yeah. because we don't know do we we're in uncharted waters? And we don't know how secure things are going to be so um if you you know if you've got an idea, and even if you haven't got an idea, in my academy in my course, I tell you how to get an idea. Um, it's a good time, but don't be afraid, and don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to ask. Just don't be afraid, because if you're not afraid, you've got a good chance of succeeding.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I've got a question for you actually about asking for help. Um, when you do need help, where do you turn for for help or advice on on the things that um, are relevant to you?
1: Well, I think in my early years, I always looked at the competition, and that's very important. If I was unsure, and it's very important to study your competition and know. And studying the competition gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot of knowledge. And I always say, you don't have to be first, you can be second, and Lord Sugar always said, they don't, you don't have to be first, but I think you have to know your market. So if I really needed help, right, so it would be, it would depend what i was doing i'm a good trader and i've got a good eye and as i've grown experience experience has taught me i don't need help but i do need when i do need help if it's in figures or financials i'm not great at that but i do know how important it is yeah. i ask relevant experts for help or people that i respect and admire and have turned to and people now turn to me and that's how it goes on and and as i said to you earlier we mustn't be afraid to ask for help it's life's a learning curve and if you're if you're ambitious and driven and motivated as i know you have been and will always be probably i'm considerably older than you but i'm still the same then you do what it takes to get where you want to go
0: yeah and it's so fun as well isn't it and so <laughs> yeah well it the drive to how if to be blessed with passion and
1: drive is great
0: oh, i love it like people say to me oh you know you're always working and i i feel like if, if you love what you do it doesn't feel like work i've never counted hours for years you know it's like a hobby it, i yeah. think it's like a hobby and yeah. also what else is
1: very very important in a business is team building mm-hmm. i i put a massive um importance on that because you can't do everything yourself and you have to then delegate, and you bring experts in the field. You know, when I needed salespeople, I couldn't be a salesperson and a buyer. I brought in, I brought in expert, I brought in people who I thought would be great to uh, to run that division for me. So team building is sort of getting the help you need.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think and there's two parts to that, there? There's the thing around building your team to deliver things because you can't scale things up on your own. So it's having a solid team, but it's also that whole pulling in specific expertise on the things that you don't know about or are not interested in, but know that you need. Exactly. Well, me, I'm a perfect example for financials.
1: Mm. you know I, I certainly knew i needed financials it wasn't my passion and i I'm not that good at figures but i certainly know the importance of it so that's where your
0: answer comes in you have to bring in the people that you need that's a really really good point for sure so have you had um role models do you still have role models well you know when i started i was women were not
1: at the forefront of business really they were not i was in uncharted territories finding my way um in a in, in a in, as a woman especially as my early years in the far east mm-hmm. so i would uh i would go to the far east and have to negotiate with men who really didn't want to negotiate with women and you know my, my a compliment for me was you're like a man um role models well i guess I wouldn't say, you know, in the fashion world, I might have looked at designers and think they're fabulous. They might be more expensive. That's where I want to go. But I want to bring it to the masses. Um, If I would say, if you asked me the question, Linda, who would you most like to have sat across the table with and had dinner with? It might be someone like Margaret Thatcher or Mm -hmm. someone, you know, Michelle Obama. I just read her book. Brilliant, brilliant book. So um, I wouldn't say that I, I, if I had role models in, 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 in my design and my fashion, I would look at people who are very successful and often in a more expensive market and bring it to, to my world. And uh, then I evolved into property, which is a whole other world, but it's still a trading
0: business. Mm-hmm. Um, Both quite so, male-dominated businesses, really, as well on, on the sides that you've been in
1: well certainly in the when i started it was it was it was male dominated but, um,
0: now, how do you now. Find that? in terms of you know you've said there that you know the compliment was you're like a man <laughs> that's that was like the compliment and you know places like hong kong i guess were probably even more traditional than than the uk at that point how did How did you have the the balls, I guess, um, to to go over there and just, you know, go for it and, and grow that business? Did you have to put on a front or? First of all, I'm focused and driven. So if I want something,
1: things don't get into my way. Problems need solutions. They don't need us sitting there moaning and groaning, oh, 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 what's the solution to the problem? So when I went out to the Far East, Hong Kong wasn't quite so bad, but Korea, nothing could prepare me for Korea where I ended up getting an award from the government for doing so much business. But when I went out to Korea, there was one hotel and there was curfew. You had to be off the streets at eight and literally a woman could not work after she was married and any children you had belonged to the man's family. So here I was. So the point is, and I, and I say that you have to adapt. You always have to adapt in life to your situation. So if I'm, and I, it was a learning curve but i knew i was in a man's world i knew i was a woman negotiating with a man and my belief across everything but particularly learning it at that time is that you have to when you negotiate you don't take the last drop you leave you always leave the table making the other person feel maybe a little bit disappointed but not very disappointed mm. so i learned how to be a woman, negotiating with a with those men by not intimidating them, not, as they would say, letting them lose face,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, And that comes from being adaptable, being flexible, understanding people, you know, and I still today, and I write it in my course, I still today, when you're across the table, and I have a little trick, it's not a trick, but I like to, before I get into a negotiation I like to have a little bit of banter a little bit of softness a little bit bit of conversation I mean if you're just with someone who just can't you know then you can't but I like to soften the things up I like to make it a little bit informal so you've got a little bit of warmth going on make no mistake I can have a steel hand but I'll wrap it in a velvet glove (laughs) and uh i i like that way better and mm-hmm. i i think everyone has to feel a bit happy or a bit sad but that's my way so i learned i just learned from my own learning myself because no one taught me there were no women in business or looked at me like you know <laughs> oh and even when I got the which is quite funny even when I got the award and I became quite a naming career and got this award from the government and my former husband who was in the business but didn't really do much of the work when I came to get the award they asked he used to come every year once a year for Chinese a year he went up and got the award no they gave him the award <laughs> yeah oh my but, but, but it's okay because i didn't mind i was uh, i the koreans came became to love me in fact one of them had a photograph of me one of my main suppliers and i'm talking about millions have gone had a photograph of me on his desk oh, that's, that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so um that's yeah perfect. it was it's it's about being it's about being adaptable isn't it and yeah. about being flexible judging your opponent and what's the best way
0: yeah and Thinking back to sort of those those years where you were doing all of that traveling and stuff, am I right in thinking that you had three children?
1: I had two at the time. Two.
0: Yeah. So how, how did you balance all of that? Particularly then when, I mean, I found, so but my daughters ain't now, and I found it really disturbing how traditional the the role of a mum is even now it really shocked me it like really shocked me especially when i got divorced and i literally had to do everything on my own i that that really surprised me and um you know it must have been far worse then and to to have had two to you know yes
1: well and i and, and i always say to mums kids are resilient and if you're laying the platform of the future for your kids you know my mother worked. My mother worked. She was a secretary and then she did the market. and I had to come in. It was different days, but I came in, I let myself in, I learned to cook and I became, you know, an independent young woman. And I never once felt my childhood was compromised. So my kids, I, my kids were young at the time when all the mothers were picking the kids up from school. They were going to, they were doing everything I wasn't doing. And I felt, I, I felt guilty, but I luckily, I felt guilty, but luckily I had a great mum and dad who moved in when I travelled, because I was travelling away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and they, I knew my kids were looked after. And, I, and what I did was I made sure that the quality, the time I had with my kids yeah. was quality time. And let me tell you this, you're a younger, you're a young mum, I'm an older mum, but my kids grew up respecting me so much. And when those mothers who'd been there every day for their kids, when they suddenly realized when their kids get to 16 and 17, they're off, yeah. you know, they're off. And then they would, whoa, we wish we'd have done something. So I always say to mums and dads, don't feel guilty. Mm-hmm. If you're laying the foundation, your kids will respect you. If you teach them and they understand, you're not neglecting them. You're not, you're nurturing life for them and you're teaching them a good way and I'm quite proud to say and then later on in life I had another son Mm -hmm. and my boys totally respect and are proud of their mum and they never have once felt oh mum didn't pick us up from school when other mums did because I made sure I gave other things that mums couldn't give
0: that's so reassuring to hear because I think that's something I've certainly agonised about over the years, and the, and the way that I've kind of got to deal with it is actually, you know, other than my daughter, my work is is my passion, and actually when I'm working and I'm enjoy, I enjoy it. It makes me happier. And that, therefore that's positive for my, for my daughter. And I think as well, what I do is I really protect the time that I have with her. And like you say, it's quality time. So, you know, back in sort of pre-COVID times, I used to finish early on a Friday and that would be the day I would pick her up from the yard. Yeah. And we would yeah. go to the beach or, or go out yeah. for dinner or something. And at the weekends, that's our special time. And yes. I would protect that as much as possible. Whereas perhaps if, if, if I didn't work and I did pick her up every day, would we do as much of that so probably not
1: so it's quality as a versus quantity and it works
0: yeah. quality works i mean I,
1: you know i'm a great advocate and i've got three because i'm not saying just neglect your kids but
0: sometimes you have to channel it but the, the kids are resilient
1: they don't suffer from it they don't think if you're
0: explaining why you do what you do and they see you you know see mum working hard and they see the benefits of that then you, that is that is role modelling for, for your children, and that's you know often yeah. people will say their parents are their role models. So so
1: I, I always say to mums, don't worry because you are laying the foundation, and as long as you give your kids quality, mm. it's not as it's not so important. Quality is more important than quantity. Mm. And if you're doing something great to build them their future, lay the foundations for yourself and a better life, and you're achieving within yourself and feeling useful, then yeah.
0: Yeah, and I suppose that leads on um, sort of quite quite neatly to me asking you a bit about work-life balance. Have you ever had it? Because I don't think it exists. But would you? You say know, you
1: I it? don't think it. I don't think it exists either. Um, work-life balance. Well, work. Look, the point is, um, if you haven't got a nine-to-five job work does cross over into family and life doesn't it It, i think it naturally does and i I don't think it i don't think you need to say it's not balanced i just think if it works well and it's intertwined that's fine you know if i i mean I'm I'm not a person that says I'm never taking a holiday and I'm never having recreation and I'm never having the very important things that I do advocate because I think work and recreation balance is important, right? Um, And so that I think is important. People need time, they need time to think, they need time to just regroup themselves. But work-life mixes in and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because, you know, how do you just make that cut off? why do you
0: have to well i mean I, I i'm of the view that you you can't That balance doesn't exist and i think that at certain points in your life you need to prioritize certain things so whether that might be family at one point or it might be work at one point and that's as balanced as it gets so exactly, you, to prioritize exactly.
1: you know i'm not going to miss my mother's 90th birthday for something because that's priority i'm not going to miss my kid's birthday or now my grandchild's birthday Or something that's really important. So, but I just balance it up, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, and I'm certainly going to take my holidays. And but if something came in while I was away, and I needed to do it, I would do it because. Mm -hmm. So no, work and work. The balance is just join it all together and make it work Mm -hmm. because you can.
0: And what's your view? This might be a bit too personal, so you can stop me if it is. Mm -hmm. What's your view on? Uh, on the importance of having a supportive partner
1: well i'm divorced twice so um i've I've had more luck in business than with men so but so support it supports it's nice to have support it is now i have i have actually worked with both my ex-husbands so i think sometimes you I was lucky in a way that I we were intertwined, and I had some support. But I think support is important. But sometimes you just don't get it from your yeah. partner. If you have a if you have a divorce, um, you know that's that's not pleasant. But I think you can get it. You can get support from friends. Uh, and I'm not talking about personal support now. I'm talking about support. But personal support is important as well because if your life's falling apart with a divorce or with a loss then it, it will affect your capabilities in business mm-hmm. so support is very very important it's a, I, I do touch on that as well in my course but um so sometimes you can't get it from your partner but you'll find it elsewhere i think we all need support don't we we're not islands. because i think honesty in business is a big important when i say honesty, i don't mean not see i mean, Honestly, I've I've got a long way by being honest. Saying, "Look, I don't understand this. Can you help me, or how? What would you do?" Mm-hmm. And uh, just be open and honest. And you know, when you need support, I'm sure, um, I'm sure that we can all find support. Even I had when I did my talk for the Prince's Trust, and there were a couple of um, apprentices there, and they really didn't have support. But I said. There are organisations where you can go if you're if you just can't turn around. But because I never underestimate support, but it doesn't always come from ex-husbands.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I can agree That's with you. I can agree with you on that one for sure. It's been really interesting because when I've been interviewing women, there's been um a real sort of divide between the divorcees and then there's been a few who um who work with their husbands, um, you know, like you described, and it seems to work really, really well. Um, and it's uh, for me i think it's just been that understanding of the pressures that that you're under in, in in work life and i don't think that necessarily has to mean that they they work with you but it's it's useful well
1: i was lucky because we had different roles mm.
0: <laughs> did, I'm did not... you carry on working with them after you got divorced
1: well uh, it uh yeah i did actually um but we but we had different roles, so it didn't really I mean I was always the executor in my first in my first marriage you were talking a bit first my my first husband he had good ideas, but he didn't execute anything i when I got divorced i did carry on uh, because i already had an office and showroom in london and i moved permanently to london from leeds i used to work three days a week in london so i wasn't working directly with him and the things i was doing he wasn't doing and then when i retired from the fashion business we we bought a big building in leeds which became which was originally our offices our showroom and our district, our warehouse Um, and when, and then we turned that, when I retired, when went into property, and we turned that into 300 apartments. So there was a tie, there was a tie, but it wasn't an everyday sitting across the desk from him. That
0: wouldn't have been fun Uh, at that point. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, I'm not sure that would have worked. Anyway, I don't think he'd have been at a desk every day. So it might have worked. I've just been sitting opposite an empty space. My second husband, um, uh, again, we're in the property business together, but we do different roles and uh, it seems to work. So, uh, but I know it doesn't work for many, but I guess if I wouldn't have been working with them, I'd have still carried on, Mm. you know. Mm-hmm. it's it can be challenging but uh, I, I moved 200 miles away from the first so it was a far less challenging
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love um, it. brilliant okay so I'm conscious of the time so let me let me finish by just asking you for if, if you could sum up one key piece of advice that either you've received or, or just something from your own reflections that served you well that you would like to share with a younger audience
1: it isn't one piece of advice, but it's perhaps a series of things that are so important um realistic realistic goals is very important uh you can you know you can have big dreams and 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 i I support that, but walk before you can run realistic goals always be honest, be honest with yourself, and don't be afraid to be honest. I have been honest um. With uh, suppliers, with customers, honesty is very good. And um, I think if you're mo- if if you're motivated and you're driven and you've got capacity to grow, then that's what you need to take you on your journey. Um, it will see you through ambition, drive. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't come and then go. You, I say you don't lose the plot. If you've got it, you ain't never going to lose it. And if you've not got it, you ain't never going to have it. <laughs> and, uh, I just think those are the things that have carried me through, uh, my life, my journey. And those are the things that will carry out everyone through every type of, bi- every, I think every type of business, you know, relationships value your, rela- I would say The key thing, value relationships, they're very important.
0: Brilliant. Okay, well, I think think we'll leave it there. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator as much as I enjoyed recording it. If this was your first experience of tuning in, go back and listen to previous episodes as there are some brilliant ones. Please do go and check those out. Hope to catch you next time.